Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you've been around Oasis uh, for a, a few years, you'll know that in 2019 through to 2020, we started a series in the book of John. Now at this point, we're not now pressing play uh, to continue where we kind of stopped in March 2020, but rather we're gonna look at it through a lens of Jesus's invitation in John 10:10, where he says that he's come to bring life to you and to me, uh, whether we're in the room, whether we're online, whether we're watching at a different point, whether we know something of Jesus, when we think we know nothing of Jesus, that he's come in order that we could know life and life in full. And it's that that we want to look at because as we continue in the book of John, what we're going to discover is John begins to paint a picture of what that life in full looks like. John 19, 6 through 37. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says, They divided my clothes among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And another that says, they will look at the one that they pierced. 
Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone in the room. Good morning, everyone online. It's incredibly good to be with you. If you don't know me, my name is Adrian. And if you're, this is your first Sunday around us, either in the room or online, you are very particularly welcome. And if you're in the room, we really do want to make sure that we get to speak to you, uh, just so we can help you feel like this could potentially become home and you can connect in. Um, I get the privilege of looking at this amazing passage from the account of John, uh, one of Jesus' friends, about the wonder of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And as Rich said, like ordinarily, you kind of get to look at the passage that's about Palm Sunday of Jesus' entrance and everyone trying to proclaim him as king. And yet, what I want us to see and how we'd mapped out our series in John was in order that we'd land on this Sunday at this passage. Because actually, we're men to look at this passage because John has been pointing through his gospel in order that when we get to this point he wants us to see that this is the point of Jesus' glory this is the point of Jesus becoming king and therefore we're going to discover again of what it means that Jesus came in order to bring us life and life in full and what I want us to see is that life in full today is in light of the cross in the shadow of the cross and we'll get there in a moment um but before we do, I just want to say thank you to Leah for reading scripture. Thank you so much for doing that. I think each week, uh, as I say, it's just brilliant to have someone else who's part of the family just reading the word to us in order that it just comes alive. Um, but before we look at it, I just want to ask a question. Are you a, a destination type person or a journey type person? Now, I recognize that within society at the moment, everyone's trying to divide multiple ways. And so there's this kind of sense where we keep breaking everything down. So it feels like there's more that uh, kind of divides us than unites us. And so I'm not wanting to add to that. I just want to pose a question of, are we more someone who likes getting to the destination? Or are we someone who kind of likes the journey, the kind of wonder, the encounters that you get on the way to the destination? The truth is, I'm someone who likes the destination. I like to just get from where I am to where I'm going. And that both is in terms of literally when I'm getting to somewhere, uh, as well as like in everything else I watch, whether it's a series on a box set, a book that I'm reading, uh, a conversation I'm having. To be honest, there's always something in the back of my head going, come on, let's just get there. Where's this going? Which can mean for those in my household that I'm always the best listener, and so I have to work on that. I think in terms of box sets, it means there's a part of my brain that always has to say, come on, you can't watch all of this at this moment. Uh, in terms of reading, it means that I have to make sure I don't just jump to the end and then try and fill in the gaps. And in terms of journeys, that it means that I've had to learn that actually you get to experience something when you're traveling from one place to another. And what I've come to discover is actually there's a wonder and a beauty to be discovered in the journey to the destination. And that's not to say that those who are there saying, well, I've always known that. I'm a journey person, not a destination, that we're kind of patting ourselves on the back and thinking, look how amazing we are. You destination people are utterly stupid. And I can say that about myself. No, no, because actually at some point we need to get somewhere and destinations are good. But John and his account has been continuously pushing us towards a destination. A destination that we're going to get to next Sunday of Jesus resurrected, Jesus alive. A destination that he mapped out at the very beginning of his book and then we'll find at the very end of saying, hey, this is why I've written this. Uh, to know that Jesus came, 
lived, died, and rose again. But I want us to see that John also, knowing that it was a destination, wanted us to take the journey there. And it's very important, I think, in this Easter week, as we look at the wonder of and Jesus risen, and all that we'll celebrate next weekend, and all the feasting we'll do, and the eating of chocolate, which is all good. I want to invite us to this coming week, seek to enjoy the journey to the resurrection. A journey that we could take throughout the whole week. Now, we've been doing this week for the last few months of Jesus' last week on earth, leading to the cross. And so, rather, I want to invite us today to contemplate the cross this coming week. And if you like, I'm just going to give us some pointers to help us as we seek to contemplate the cross this coming week. Because often we can run to the destination when it comes to the Easter week. We can run to that resurrection and kind of skip through in a moment on Good Friday of thinking, oh yeah, Jesus died. And yet, I believe John was wanting to invite us to contemplate the wonder of what goes on at the cross. You see, John was there witnessing it firsthand, witnessing everything that Jesus was going through on the cross. And as he then began to pen his account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he couldn't help but continuously see that this was a death like no other, that there was stuff going on that was bigger than that moment. And so, What we're going to discover as we look at the cross, as we've often discovered through the account of Jesus, is that he kind of leaves these kind of breadcrumbs that are there for us to pick up and follow and say, okay, what, what is John actually pointing to here? And so the description he gives in terms of Jesus dying on a cross is there for a reason. Now, we haven't got time to look at all of it. I'd say that's why I'm inviting us this coming week to contemplate this. But I want to look at four things as we kind of look at these breadcrumbs that John gives us, as we see and contemplate, we realize the wonder and beauty to be discovered. You see, I want to invite us, both now and this coming week, to sit in the shadow of the cross. And as we sit in the shadow of the cross, I want us to discover, yes, there's horror. Yes, there's violence. Yes, it seems like there's weakness and vulnerability, but I want us to see beyond that in order that John draws our eyes to see the wonder, to see the majesty, to see the beauty, to see the power of Jesus revealed at the cross. And I want us to see that as we discover that, we're going to see one who is revealed as king, who's merciful, one who is victorious, one who is a life giver. And my hope is, as we kind of look at those headings, that it's going to give us some things to contemplate and consider and to encounter and receive this coming week. So let's start off then. One who is king. This year we get to celebrate 70 years of having a queen of this country. A phenomenal achievement. Uh, One that continuously, I think, whether you're someone who's for the royal family or against, seems to unite us ultimately because of the character of the individual. I was struck as she penned thanking the nation 
for the uh, ability to serve us as a nation over these 70 years and kind of signed it off, your servant, Elizabeth. There's something about that. But what we get to celebrate this year is 70 years from when she was coronated as queen. Now, her coronation was a big affair. I wasn't there, though my hair kind of makes you think, was he? I wasn't there, I'm not that old, but I know some in the room did see it. They may not have been in the room as it happened, but they saw it on a television set. It was like that moment where the whole of the nation stopped to take in the wonder of the coronation of the queen. As rightly so, it was one that was filled with crowds and fanfare. It was a royal occasion as she was crowned and took up the throne. John wants us to see that when Jesus is declared king, it is very different. And does it through pointing to a sign, literally, that's there on the cross. And so in verses 19 to 20, he writes this, Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. See, John, through his account of Jesus' life, has continuously pointed to the fact that Jesus is king. However, his kingship is going to be revealed in the most obscure moment, the most kind of surprising moment. As he says, Jesus is going to be declared king when he's lifted up. Lifted up, literally, on a cross. Jesus is going to be declared king when the hour has come, when he dies. And John says, therefore, this sign that's there, though done with irony from Pilate, kind of poking fun at the religious leaders of saying, well, this is how I see it, and them saying, come and take it down. And John says, no, no, what he was doing with irony actually was bringing a reality of the wonder of who Jesus is, that Jesus is king, and this is who he is, as being crowned and enthroned in his kingship on the cross. Because what it points to is a king that isn't looking to gain, but a king who seeks to, from the moment of his coronation, is looking to offer all. That's a surprising king. One who doesn't look that everyone would come and bow before him, but one who in his enthronement, in him being crowned, actually seeks to give of the whole of himself for all. It's why John puts that detail of saying, like, the proclamation of him being king was in three languages, in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Why does he put that there? Well, he puts it there because he wants us to understand, in that moment, what was known of the world everyone spoke those three languages. And what it was therefore saying is, in it being proclaimed in these three languages, it was revealing that this king, who's like no other, who comes and takes up his throne by offering the whole of himself, is one who is for all. That everyone gets to receive him as king. That he comes and reveals who he is by offering all for everyone. Not a limited number, everyone. So firstly, John wants to see at the cross the wonder of who Jesus is king. Secondly then, that he is merciful. 
Verses 26 to 27, John writes this. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. See, with the backdrop of the horror of the cross, John invites us in to see this most intimate of moments of a son loving, loving his mum. I don't know what you're like when you're suffering or ill. I don't know if you're someone who kind of finds that all right. Here's the deal, I don't. I am awful when I'm suffering or ill. You can go and ask my wife, Lucy. You can ask my kids how I am. I just feel like if anyone wants anything of me, I just think, don't you understand? Like, I give out all the rest of the time. This is my moment. Can't you understand my suffering? Um, You know, recently, I just keep doing my back. I've got to that age. I don't know if you've got to that age yet, but I've got to that age where I literally just putting some stuff in the washing machine and my back will just go. And I'm like, what? And in that moment as my back goes, if anyone's asking me of anything, I'm just like, don't you understand the agony, the agony? Fortunately, Jesus isn't like me. And I think this moment of Jesus' interaction with his mother profoundly provokes me and profoundly impacts me. Because surely at this moment, as he's hanging on a cross, having suffered physically everything that he had done up to this point, as he was suffering the reality of all of the wrong of the world being placed on his shoulders, Surely this is the moment that he truly could think. Don't you know how I'm suffering? Like we'd let him that one, wouldn't we? We'd be like, yeah, of course. Like this is a suffering moment. If you need like care for yourself, this is okay. And yet what we find is one who even in that moment, as he's hanging on the cross, is full of mercy and unfailing love. So much so that he looks on his mother and yearns for her care and provision. You see, we can look at it and say, yeah, but he refers to his woman. And that's not a very nice way to refer to your mum. Like, if I turned to my mum, who's at home at the moment watching, hello mum, and if I turned to her and said, woman, like, I know the response I'm going to get. But that's not what is happening here with Jesus. You see, when Jesus uses that word that's translated woman, it was a word of immense value and worth and authority. You see, there's only one other time where Jesus refers to his mom as woman, and it's actually at the very beginning of John's account of Jesus' life. You can read about it, and it's where they're at a wedding banquet, And Mary discovers there's a problem with the wedding banquet, that actually the wine's run out, and this is going to bring great shame on the family. And so Mary turns to Jesus and says, you fix it, you do something about it. And Jesus at that point says, no, 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 my my hour has not come. And yet he responds to his mother's need 
and provides the wine that's needed, the most miraculous of ways. And so then we get to this point where the hour has come and his mum makes no request and yet his son, her son, Jesus, in this moment actually seeks to provide for her. Seeks to show her mercy in order that she would be cared for and so looks to the disciple who he loved, which as we've come on to see, and you can kind of see it in different ways. For me, how I see it is, this is John. John seems to always refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So was he transformed by his experience with Jesus. And Jesus looks to John and says, look, take care of my mom. Mother, she will be your son. Friend, she will be your mother. And that's how Jesus cares for her. And you see, what I think John's pointing to isn't like, hey, look at me, I then took up the, the mantle and took care of Jesus' mum from that point on. I think he's wanting us to encounter the merciful Jesus. I think he's wanting us to understand that this is who Jesus is. That Jesus is one who's continuously seeking to provide and care for you and to provide and care for me. That he's one who's continuously wanting us to understand and know his unfailing love and mercy towards you and towards me. That as we sit, allowing the shadow of the cross to cast over us, it's that invitation to encounter the wonder of him as king. The beauty of Jesus' mercy and unfailing love towards you and towards me. Third thing, though, he's not only merciful, we also discover that he is victorious. Verse 30, it says, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. That word finished means completion. It's not like, I'm finished, that's it, I'm done, I'm going home. Now this is a, it is finished, it's completed everything that I was meant to do. This is like John, remember, breadcrumbs guy, who continuously points us to something else. He's pointing us to another moment of it is finished. And it is finished that you find in the very beginning of the Bible of Acts 2, where God looks at all that he's created and says, it is finished, and it's very good. But Sean's like saying, like, remember that is, it is finished of how completed that God could say, it's done, it's good. This is like that moment. That when Jesus says, it is finished, it's very good. It's like a new creation moment. You see, what Jesus is pointing to here is that he has finished everything he came to do. Everything he came to do in revealing the Father's love. So much so that Paul, who would later be impacted by the wonder of Jesus' resurrection, will write to a group of churches in Rome and say, hey, do you know the wonder of what Jesus has done? Well, it means that we can see that God loves us, the Father loves us, on the basis of the fact that Jesus died for us. So Jesus comes and finishes it by revealing the wonder of how much God loves us by revealing the Father's will for each of us and ultimately by reconciling us to the Father. In order later, John will write a letter that says, so that we could be known as children of God. 
Not merely servants, not merely those who are there to do his bidding, no, those who are now part of the family get to know that love of the Father. See, it is finished means that Jesus is enough. It means that it's never Jesus and what you and I can then add to it. It means that Jesus is enough. And therefore it means that there is an it is finished that we're invited to know being spoken over our life in terms of our past, our present, and our future. So we haven't got time to look at the wonder of this. That's why I'm saying, like, this is me just keep pointing to things. So this coming week we can contemplate it, encounter it, receive it. You see, it is finished defines our past by stating we have nothing to prove. Like it means that whatever we've done or whatever's been done to us, Jesus says, no, this is finished. This doesn't define you anymore. It is finished defines our present by inviting us to seek to live more in light of his love that enables us to know we have nothing to prove. Because here's the reality. There is that fact that we have nothing to prove. We're defined now not by what's happened to us or by why we've done, but by who Jesus is and what he has finished. That just takes a lifetime to live in the good of. And there's things that we've done or things that have been done to us that it just takes time for us to be marinated in the wonder of it is finished, for it to get to the very depths of who we are as a person. Sometimes we can think, oh, no, no, it's done. And yes, it is in one reality, but in another we know that it doesn't change some of the ways that we think, some of the ways that we act. Because for decades we've had that other thing defining us. And it is finished, promises, no, this is a journey to be continuously redefined by how Jesus sees us. But it is finished also defines our future, as it promises that one day he will put right all that is wrong, restoring all. That's the hope. That it is finished, promises that it changed our past. It causes us to live in a different reality of our presence, but also promises that he gets the final say. He will put right all that is wrong, both in us and in the world. Like, do we need to hear it is finished today? Like, is, is there parts of our life where we've just settled for it's not really finished there. And that Jesus invites us to know it is finished, even there. Lastly then, he's the life giver. Now this one, to be honest, I've given myself no time to talk about. And so this will be Adrian Hurst, rapid fire, kind of like, see if you can follow the breadcrumbs on this one, because this is John at his best, kind of throwing up something and you think, what? And then you have to go away and just ponder it and consider it and see how his whole account has been building to this one moment where you think, well, I thought it was just a kind of squeamish kind of fact of the crucifixion, and yet you're using it to reveal the wonder of what Jesus has done. As we find that Jesus is the life giver, verse 34, one of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. Like, that's a horrible image. I'm deeply squeamish. Like, a kid came up to me the other Sunday, 
and said, oh, I've just fallen off my bike. Do you want to see my scar? And I went, no, I don't. And so they peeled back the plaster. And it, oh, it was just horrible, flesh hanging off. And I was like, like, I'm deeply squeamish. And so the fact John, like, puts in this, and there was a stab in the side, and then blood and water flow, is everything in me, I, I want to retch. I'm like, oh, this, this is bad. But why did he do it? Why put that description in? Well, firstly, because he wants us to know Jesus died. Like Jesus gave up his life in order that we could know life. In order that we could know that this wasn't like some kind of illusion that Jesus kind of passed out and then on uh, Resurrection Sunday, kind of fake coming back to life. No, no, he definitely died and he rose again. You go and figure that out whether you believe it or not. But not only is it that, it's also that he uses those two images, blood and water, because blood and water are littered as references throughout his account. Now, as I said, we haven't got time to look at this, therefore, go back and read John. You're like, man, there's a lot of homework today. Hey, but isn't that the point that we get to kind of see this thing? What I get to do is say, set it up and say, hey, let's go and contemplate this together this coming week. Because what you find is that when John refers to blood, he's been talking about blood from the very beginning through these references of blood that is a sacrifice that redeems us, redeeming sacrifice. It's all there. You see it at the very beginning. As John the Baptist encounters Jesus and calls out, hey, here's one who is what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why that? Why the Lamb of God? Well, because John's going to continue to refer to it. It isn't any old lamb. It's a lamb that refers to the Hebrew history. The lamb that delivered them from slavery and death. The Passover lamb. The Passover lambs that were being sacrificed on the very day that Jesus is being sacrificed on the cross. I'm saying that he's the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate one that his blood shed is a proclamation for all time that he has redeemed everyone from slavery and death. What about the water then? Why refer to the water? Well, again, John continuously refers to water, quoting Jesus left, right, and center throughout his account. Because whenever Jesus talks about water, he's always talking about a water that will quench every thirst. And then kind of continuously either Jesus points it out or John points it out, saying when Jesus talks about the water here, he was actually talking about the giving of the Holy Spirit. To this point where you get to in John 7 where Jesus promises that actually he's going to cause water to come that will be the Holy Spirit. And he says in John 7 verses 37 to 39 is that it will be a water that what? Comes from his belly. Streams of living water that is the Holy Spirit. And you were like, at that point, John chapter 7, what are you talking about? Water from the belly that's like streams of living water that's the Holy Spirit being given? And John looks at the cross and says, that was about this. That as he's pierced, it promises not only redemption from slavery and death, but power to live in the good of it, that the spirit is given in order that we could know renewed life, that we could know that we get to live in the good of this through the power of the spirit. 
Therefore, as we live in the shadow of the cross this coming week, I want to invite us, invite us to contemplate the wonder of who Jesus is as king, as merciful, as victorious, as a life giver. And that as we contemplate the wonder of who Jesus is on the cross, that allow ourselves to encounter him afresh, or maybe for the first time, and as we encounter him in these ways, receive afresh of him. Why? Because he came to give you and I life, and life in full. A life that is revealed through his kingship, a life that is revealed through his mercy, a life that is revealed through his victory, and a life that is revealed through the fact that he truly is the life giver. Therefore, in this moment, I want to invite us just to stand in a moment and to sing. To sing of the wonder of what Jesus has done. Therefore, I'm going to invite Abby and the band to come up and to lead us uh, as we just sing in response. And as we sing in response, maybe we're in different positions. For some of us, we're like, well, I don't know if I believe any of this stuff. Maybe this coming week, it's like, starting to ask some questions of, if this was real, what difference would it make to my life? Maybe for some of us, we're like, hey, I I want in, I want to know more. Well, maybe this is a moment where you say, Jesus, would you reveal yourself more to me? For many of us, we'd be those who actually do know Jesus. And for us, it's that we're saying, Jesus, I don't want to just skip to the destination. I don't want to skip to the celebration of next Sunday and miss the wonder of the life that you offer me at the shadow of the cross. And I come this week and commit myself to contemplate, to encounter and receive you afresh.